Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Happy Independence Day, and thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Hello and welcome to this Best of Mornings with Carmen on listener-supported Faith Radio. No, Carmen's not here. I'm Paul Perot, Carmen's producer. Thanks for listening as we head into the Independence Holiday Weekend. Carmen has today and Monday off. She'll return live on Tuesday. We hope you have a good holiday weekend like her. And wherever you go, please remember, bring us along via the free Faith Radio app. As we get ready to celebrate Independence Day, let me ask you a question. What day is Independence Day? Now, maybe you answered quickly, well, July 4th, obviously. Well, some would argue, technically, no. It's today. According to the Constitution Center, officially, the Continental Congress declared its independence from Great Britain on July 2nd of 1776, when it voted to approve a resolution submitted by Delegate Richard Henry Lee of Virginia, declaring that these United Colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved of all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. In fact, founder John Adams thought July 2nd would be marked as a national holiday for generations to come. So you're asking, okay, why do we celebrate Independence Day on July 4th? Well, after voting for independence on July 2nd, the Continental Congress then needed to draft a document explaining the move to the public. It had been proposed in draft form by a committee of five, which consisted of John Adams, Roger Sherman, Robert Livingston, Benjamin Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson. It took two days for the Congress to agree on the edits, and thus, July 4th. So as we get ready to celebrate our freedom this weekend, as Carmen is apt to ask you, where in the word are you? For myself, I'm always compelled to go to Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I think about this especially after reading an article some time ago that tried to get us to think about the difference between negative freedoms, the idea of having no restrictions on your choices and on your life, and positive freedoms, of having control of one's own desires so you can be free of habits and behaviors that would hurt your flourishing. For example, someone who wants to be free to take illicit drugs as they want, are they really free? Well, from a positive freedom standpoint, we'd have to say no, since such a person is bound by their addictions and self-destructive desires. Yes, while we want to celebrate freedom from outside constraints as the Declaration of Independence and later the Bill of Rights outlined, we should also see God's grace to be truly free. Well, again, this is the Best of Mornings with Carmen, and today we're going to enjoy some of the best previous conversations from Carmen and her guests. First up, we're going to hear from Jim Dennison of the Dennison Forum. Like Carmen, he seeks to help people apply the mind of Christ to the issues of the day. We'll enjoy one of their conversations in just a few moments. Thanks again for listening to Mornings with Carmen here on listener-supported Faith Radio.
me now, Jim Dennison. You can find what we're talking about today at denisonforum.org. Jim, welcome back. Hey, Carmen, glad to hear from you this morning. How are you? I, I am well. I am well. I hope you are well as well. Yeah, terrific. In fact, the weather down here doesn't think it's Texas. I'm happy about it. 67 yesterday morning, I was walking in a sweatshirt, but it'll be 97 by Sunday, so we'll be back. (laughs) Yeah, just just hold on; it'll return to normal. That's right, exactly. Um, So let's talk a little bit about this petition. Um, The petition is to stop Jeff Bezos from returning to Earth. Um, Wow! I mean, you think pretty highly of yourself if you think you can relegate a person to just being jettisoned into space forever. Yeah, especially if that person's worth nearly 200 billion dollars. I wouldn't know that I had the capacity to make a change in his life, but there are some folks that think, in fact, 74,000 signatures as of the other day. So as you probably heard, he is planning to go out into space on July 20th on this subordable rocket, a new Shepard. It's going to be an 11-minute voyage into space. 74,000 people have signed a petition saying do not allow Jeff Bezos to return to Earth. They're kind of mad at him for being a billionaire. They're mad at him for how they think he's handling a variety of issues, and they'd rather him stay in space, as it turns out. So um, the number is, um, I'm looking at it right now, the, uh, mm-hmm. the number at change.org is just about to surpass 100,000 signatures, as we, uh, literally as we speak. Billionaires should not exist on Earth um, or in space, is what one of the people Um, on the petition has said, let's talk about existence. Who has the right to exist and who determines that? Yeah, that's really where our culture is, isn't it? We're at this idea that truth is what I say it is, that what I believe must therefore be my truth, and therefore you must at least tolerate my truth, if not embrace my truth. Well, how's that working for us in our culture would really be the question, right? On a logical level, to say there is no such thing as truth is to make a truth claim. To say there are no absolutes is to make an absolute truth claim. Just because I say there is no Australia doesn't mean there is no Australia. But the other day, Carmen, someone said to me, I don't believe in hell, as though that solved the question. I don't believe in hell, so therefore there is no hell. But that's the relativism in which we find ourselves these days. We want to impose our truth on the truth, and it doesn't work very well. So we have a listener who says, I wonder if all of those people who have signed the petition do not shop at Amazon or Whole Foods, do not use Twitch, have never bought shoes on Zappos, do not read the Washington Post, on and on and on. It's hard to, it would be hard to escape um, using or making use of all of the things that Jeff Bezos now has a controlling interest in. That's exactly right. In fact, I picked up yesterday at my door some uh, Transformer toys that were ordered on Amazon by my <laughs> wife for my grandson's upcoming Transformers birthday party. And oh, Jeff this is going to be fun. Space or not, I'm grateful for Jeff Bezos today anyway, uh, because my grandson is looking forward to what he delivered to my house. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. Um, Okay, further, I'm actually just going to scroll a little bit further down in that same post at Denison Forum. So this is the post from yesterday, June the 22nd. I know you have fresh content today. But as I scroll down in yesterday's um, post, you have this conversation about a senator equating Christians with KKK members. And I wanted to talk about this in sort of in conversation with this, I, I think, 
public statement, I mean, I would describe it that way, by the press secretary um, of the White House, Jen Psaki, yesterday, who basically said, look, the president's faith is a private faith and it's a private matter. We're not going to comment on the inner workings of the Roman Catholic Church, nor the president's Roman Catholicism. The two things are separate. There's, you know, there is his personal private religion, and then there is, you know, the political positions that he takes in relationship to things like, and and in particular, abortion. Um, I think that these are related. Am I right? Oh, you're absolutely right. They're part of a larger trajectory that Christians really need to understand so we can embrace it in a way that can redeem it to a greater uh, good for God's glory and for the advancement of the kingdom. So back in the ancient Greco-Roman world, you had this religious transactional sort of a deal. If you were going to war, you sacrificed to the gods of war, Mars or Ares. If you needed truth, you'd sacrifice to Athena or whatever. You placed a sacrifice on the altars of the gods of bless your crops so, and so forth. But you didn't have an ongoing transformational relationship with these gods. They lived at top of Mount Zeus and Mount Olympus, Zeus and all of that, and we're down here. Well, we've adopted, unfortunately, tragically, the same kind of bifurcation. We have Sunday here and Monday there and religion and the real world and the spiritual and the secular. That's Greek philosophy. That's Greco-Roman religion. Jesus comes along to say, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We're to be crucified with Christ. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Jesus is king on Monday, not just Sunday. He's king of the realm, not just the castle. He's king of public as well as private. So this bifurcation of religion and the real world is unbiblical. Whether that's President Biden saying that, or President Trump, or that's you or me, it's unbiblical. God wants to speak to every dimension of our lives. Our private faith should affect every dimension of our lives, and that's the breakdown we're seeing in our culture. Yeah, when I read your, um, when I read the quote from Senator Dick Durbin here, um, and I just this conversation about whether or not as people of faith, we can continue to hold to a a moral code, um, a biblical morality that recognizes that human beings are created male and female in the image of God, and that marriage is something given, um, ordered and ordained by God to be between one biological man and one biological woman. It's hard to Mm -hmm. imagine we even have to include that language, but we do. Um, And that to hold those ideas in the culture today could now be equated by a sitting senator with the KKK, I got to tell you, is uh, um, it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit scary. It really is because of where this goes, not just where it is, but where it goes. But that's the other side of what we're saying. If my religion is to be private, I'm not to bring it out in public, then if I do, I'm oppressive. Now, if I do, I'm forcing it on other people. And if it's in the context of LGBTQ minorities, I'm acting like a racist. And that's what Dick Durbin is saying. He's likening people who want to defend biblical morality, biblical marriage, to KKK members that, as he said, are not burning question marks. They were burning a cross. They were making some distorted connection with religion and so forth. So that really, Carmen, is how the culture looks at those of us who believe in biblical morality. They think we're being just as oppressive, just as discriminatory, just as bigoted, they would say homophobic, as if we were KKK members defending white supremacy. That's why the Equality Act is such a threat, because it expressly denies any appeal to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and to religious liberty. They would say, just like the KKK has no right to appeal to religious freedom, we have no right to appeal to religious freedom because we're oppressing others. They see us through that same racist lens, and that's becoming more and more pervasive in the culture every day. 
I'm talking with Jim Dennison. You can find more at denisonforum.org. Jim and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. All right, I'm sticking with yesterday's post um, at denisonforum.org because down at the bottom you talk about Terry Crews. And I'll just confess, I didn't know who that was. Um, I didn't know that Terry Crews was a current host of America's Got Talent. But it did remind me that you have another post at Dennison Forum about Nightbird or Nightbirdie, who, uh, you know, a person with whom I'm also not familiar. So will you tell us these two stories? Tell us about Terry Crews and then tell us about Nightbird or Nightbirdie. Yeah, Carmen, glad to do that. Clearly, you're probably not a fan of Sylvester Stallone movies, let's say, and uh, <laughs> might not have followed all former NFL players and bodybuilders. So I think you're to be excused there, I bet. So yeah, that's Terry Crews. He's the host of this America's Got Talent show that's on, especially in the summer. He's also, by his own admission, a recovering pornography addict. His wife recently credited the Lord with saving their marriage, told the Christian Post. He took hold of the Word of God. He took hold of the Scriptures. He just ran with all his might. He said, God, I don't want to be like this anymore. And he amazes me every day. She said he really is the kinder, gentler version of Terry Crews because he let God do a work in his life. And it makes the point that in a culture that rejects the uh, the claim to biblical truth that we're discussing right now, we can demonstrate the relevance of that truth in our lives. And that's what happened on America's Got Talent recently. This young lady came out. She's a singer. She wanted to audition for the for this talent show. And along the way, it turns out that she is a cancer patient with a 2% chance of survival. The song she sang was so stunning, so remarkable, that Simon Cowell is one of the four hosts or one of the four judges of America's Got Talent, and usually the most acerbic one, the most negative, gave her what they call the golden buzzer, which is the highest thing you can get. It actually sends her all the way through to the semifinals, and it was a very emotional moment. But it turns out it's her faith that is empowering her, that's strengthening her. She's a Liberty University graduate. Liberty did a profile of her not very long ago. She's got some blogs on her personal website website at nightbird.com that I would encourage everybody to read. She is living proof that Jesus changes our lives. And when we make that story clear, that's the compelling truth the culture needs. I just, I love her testimony. I love her story. I love the witness. Um, And I think that it reminds us to be praying for each other um, and to recognize that folks are often dealing with things quietly, um, that they're not dealing with out, you know, out in public every single day. A lot of people listening right now dealing with chronic pain and, and illness and challenges, and yet going out there into the world and doing the things that God has called each of us and all of us to do. Um, Jim, um, what are you reflecting on today? Well, thank you. As I'm working again on this idea of relative truth, that's kind of the theme for the week, as it turns out. We're going to be thinking today and tomorrow, especially about courage and the importance of having courage in a culture that is so rejecting of our truth and of our faith. At the end of the day, it's just as easy for me to retreat from the gates of hell as anybody. It's just as easy for me to pull back and not go into the world to make disciples of all nations, not trying to be his witness, just kind of pull back into uh, into a cave of, of retreat and denial and all that, keeping the salt in the salt shaker, keeping the light under the bushel basket. Well, I'm speaking tomorrow at, in, at the National Religious Broadcasters uh, Convention doing their morning devotional, and what I'm going to encourage us to believe is that God redeems all he allows. 
He therefore is even redeeming the challenges of these days to give us an opportunity to go forward, to attack the gates of hell with his love, his mercy, and his grace. We're having a debate over abortion. Well, let's let's redeem that as an opportunity to push for adoption and to care for women that are facing at-risk pregnancies. We're having this big debate over LGBTQ rights and the Civil and the Equality Act. Well, let's redeem that by demonstrating God's grace and compassion for LGBTQ individuals and all of us. We're having this debate over death with dignity and euthanasia. Let's redeem that by caring for people who are suffering, as you said, many of them in silence. We're in the midst of this pandemic. Let's redeem that by caring for people that are suffering and and are grieving. Let's seize the opportunity to turn the obstacles into opportunities. I believe that's God's call for this moment. So, Jim, we have a listener named Talia, um, and I just I wanted to share with you what she's texted in, and let's just be of encouragement to her. Um, she was tasked with planning a holiday trivia event um, in her in her corporate job, and she chose a balance of trivia questions that represented many different religious holiday expressions. But because Christmas was even mentioned in a few of the questions, um, leadership canceled the entire event because, quote, mm-hmm. Christmas might offend some people. Um, people are dealing with a real challenge out there every day as Christians in the culture. Want to speak a word of encouragement to Talia and others? Yeah, I'm glad to have that opportunity. Talia, first of all, I'm sorry, but you're certainly not alone. There's a whole movement called Woke Business. I'm writing a book on what we're describing right now. I have a whole chapter on that, on how corporate America has moved in such a direction that's so discriminatory toward Christianity. You wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say that, I'm certain, whether it was over Passover, Rosh Hashanah, or if it was Ramadan or an Islamic holiday. But there's this idea that Christians are uniquely oppressive, uniquely discriminatory, that we on some level should be discriminated against in a way other religions are not in our culture. The best way to respond to that that I know is if Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. I believe you have the right to go forward to your supervisors. You have the right, I think, to say, well, actually, you're discriminating against the Christian faith by your concern that it's being discriminatory to honor Christmas or to think about the Christmas holiday. If you believe you have the right or believe that you can do that within the dynamics of your particular employment, I would urge you to do that. I'd urge you to go forward after you pray, after you ask God's leadership, his wisdom, his protection, his direction. If he leads you to do that, I would encourage you to do that. But to do that in a spirit of love. Do that in a spirit of compassion and humility as beggars helping beggars find bread. Recognizing at the end of the day, the best apologetic for Christmas is that Christ is alive in us. The best way to celebrate the birth of Jesus is to show people that Jesus is born again in us. And if we can't celebrate Christmas in the holidays and demonstrate that in our public places of work, we can demonstrate that in our lives, our character, and our witness. And that's a privilege that no one can take from us. Amen. Jim, as always, thank you so much. Blessings on your uh, leadership at NRB tomorrow. Uh, I just appreciate you so very much. So blessings on you and your staff. Give them uh, our appreciative thanks as well. Carmen, so glad to be on with you today. God bless. Likewise. That's Jim Dennison. You can find him and more of what he's teaching at denisonforum.org. We'll be right back. in the summertime. Changed my name thinking that it would change my mind. 
Well, again, thanks for listening to this Best of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio for this Friday before Independence Day. I'm Carmen's producer, Paul Perot, and I'm sure you've seen at least pictures of one of the original copies of the Declaration of Independence that was sent throughout the original 13 colonies. Maybe you saw one at a museum like the Smithsonian. I say copies, for there were many of them. Once the Continental Congress approved the actual Declaration of Independence document on July 4th, it then ordered that it be sent to a printer named John Dunlop. About 200 copies of the Dunlop broadside version of the document were printed, which included the signatures of the founders, including John Hancock's iconic name printed at the bottom. Today, of those original 200 copies, only 26 remain. Well, coming up next on this Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge, we'll feature a conversation with Terrence Lester of an organization called Love Beyond Walls, which seeks to help those in poverty and those who have suffered under systemic abuse and oppression to find freedom. He recently released a book entitled When We Stand, The Power to Seek Justice Together, where he invites us to work together in community to help all people experience freedom, ultimately freedom in Christ. And yes, we do have copies of this book to give away. So to get in the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. You'll get a link sent back to you where you can sign up and get your name in the hat for the drawing. Again, text just the word book, B-O-O-K, to 877-933-2484. Carmen's conversation with Terrence Lester about five minutes away. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen on listener-supported Faith Radio. When I was growing up, there was a lot of tension in our home. We spent many dinners around the table in frustrated silence. You know what that taught me about dealing with problems? Just avoid them. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. That lesson from my childhood wasn't the best one, but maybe you can relate. The higher the tension gets at home, the easier it is to check out, to stay quiet, or find some convenient distraction. Though it may seem like the easier route, it's doing more harm in the long run. Choose to talk about issues in the home, even when it's hard. Your proactive approach, asking questions, listening to the answer, and sticking with it will go a long way to relieving the tension in your home. When all else fails, moms and dads turn to Mark Gregston for help. Equip yourself with the wisdom you need to succeed at parentingtodaysteens.org. My best introduction for Terrence Lester is here's a guy who's not just thinking about doing it or talking about doing it or writing about doing it. Here's a guy who's actually doing it. Uh, Terrence Lester is uh, a minister, a speaker. He's a community activist. He's an author. He's the founder of Love Beyond Walls. We have talked with him um, about prior books that he has written, including I See You. Um, and we have talked with him about Love Sinks In, which is one of his campaigns on behalf of the poor. Thrilled to have Terrence Lester back today to talk about his newest book, When We Stand. Terrence, welcome back. Hey, uh, it's great to be back. Great to be with your, your audience and have another discussion. How are you? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to be more like you. There you go. Um, so, which is the, to not just be talking about it or thinking about it, but doing it. And that's what I want to talk uh, with you about today. So we'd love an update. Give us an update. Remind people what Love Sinks In 
is all about. And then give us an update because this is a really good news story. Yeah, sure. So last year when the pandemic first uh, started, we uh, had to pivot quick as an organization and we started placing hand washing stations in the city of Atlanta. We started with about five. We grew to 50. And now we are in 57 cities with over 70 partners uh, providing sanitation for people without an address to have access to uh, basic sanitation like soap, water, and uh, hygiene items to keep themselves uh, protected from the spread and contraction of COVID-19. We've also extended the project to two additional countries, which is Canada and also Australia. It is, um, it's extraordinary as an example of recognizing a primary need that a neighbor has and figuring out how to, um, you know, help an individual live in in a more healthy and dignified um, and self-sufficient way in the midst of uh, of a world that maybe does not always see and understand the concerns of the poor. Right. Um, and that's why I talk so much about proximity. Um, we often quote uh, the scripture of, you know, we're called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Uh, well, my you know, point to that is we're also called to love the neighborhood that the neighbor emerges from and be concerned with the issues that that neighborhood may be facing. So we have to love the to- the to- the whole neighbor as opposed to just uh, parts of a neighbor. And the only way that we do that is by getting close and proximate. Uh, When I talk about proximity, I'm talking about understanding people's hopes and fears and dreams and aspirations, but also their shortcomings and their gaps and their needs. Um, We have a quote in our lobby in our center that says, you can never meet the needs of people that you've never met. And that still rings true today. You can never meet the needs of people you have never met. Um, The conversation about getting proximate, loving neighbor, loving neighborhood, I think all of that is foundational to the conversation we're going to have today, which is um, about your brand new book, When We Stand. Talk about the, um, this is this is kind of a next step book, but it also goes back and lays the groundwork of, uh, of how I began to not only see the need, but begin to um, knit myself to others in such a way that together we could meet it. Yeah. Uh, one of the hard truths that we all wrestle with today is that uh, in the palm of our hands from a cell phone, uh, we can access content from all around the globe and we can encounter injustices, problems going on in the world, the gas shortage. I mean, you name it. And all of that feels overwhelming for an individual. You know, I remember times when I learned of something tragic happening in society and I was all alone and I didn't know how to process that. Well, there are so many people that are are wanting to get involved, wanting to contribute, wanting to make a difference, but they just don't know how. And what this book is doing is showing people that in community, as a body, when you're connected with others, when you offer up the the, the small piece that you may have in connection with other pieces that other people are contributing, that's how we create the type of change that we wish to see. This book is all about coming together. I mean, if the pandemic has taught us anything, is that together we go forward. Together we solve issues. Together we lament with one another. Together is how we literally uh, honor and glorify God 
who is wanting us to be lovers of him and also lovers of our neighbors. And so to address any systemic issue or any issue that is plaguing community, you have to be in community with other people doing that work. You can't do it alone. Um, I, I know um, that we resist that. And, um, you know, we might have just become really, really comfortable in uh, in the bubble or the silo or the disconnected place, you know, where we live. And our own comfort is really of greater concern to us than the discomfort that we see in the lives of others. Just just talk about, you know, sort of where you start this conversation, which is to get out of our bubble. Yeah, I remember uh, I was writing the chapter uh, actually called Get Out of Your Bubble um, about a is a private school that is lodged in a neighborhood um, and uh, surrounding the neighborhood is is a food desert and uh, all of these issues. And the community was just like in this bubble and the principal wanted me to come and give a, 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 a talk about uh, living outside of the bubble and realizing that there, the world is much bigger uh, and spacious outside of the things that they were around on a daily basis. And I think what the principal was trying to communicate was that the way that we really embody community, the way that we strengthen community, the way that we move forward as a whole community is that we have to be connected uh, to other people. I mean, you think about the number of people right now who have been in their bubbles, but they're also they've also been suffering in their bubbles because of the lack of community. Um, loneliness has festered. Um, concern with uh, the world has, uh, you know, increased. And all of these concerns are there sitting with a person who desperately needs to be connected to the community around them. You get life from community. You get accountability from community. You get a chance to dream in community. You get a chance to be supported in community. But greater than that, you get a chance to connect with other people to make a real difference in the world. It's all about community. What I do for you, I'm also doing for myself. Isn't that the message um, that we should be standing on right now in, the, in a moment in time like this? Well, no doubt. And um, I, I think that you're, first of all, you're not just inviting people um, or telling people to go and do something that you are not yourself doing. And one question that I would have for you, and, I, you know, chapter two is make more time. But there, there is this there is this question about people like you who get so much done. You get so much done. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that would never get one book written, let alone basically, I don't know, you seem to be on track to be writing one a year. Um, and and people have maybe a really good idea about uh, addressing a particular need or concern in their community or in the larger world. But you actually, you know, got it done and are getting it done and it's multiplying and it's and it's being scaled. And not only that, you know, in the midst of all of that, you um, you opened the Dignity Museum. And in addition to that, you know, you're leading people in your own community and inspiring people in other communities to actually, you know, like get out there and engage. Um, so talk yeah. with us about, I mean, and everybody has exactly the same number of minutes and hours in a day. Um, we don't all get the same number of days, but we ought to be making more of the days that we do get. Talk about making more time. 
Yeah. I think one of the greatest threats and enemies to us making a difference in the world is not having enough margin. Um, the lack of margin itself is uh, keeping people who are willing um, to make a difference and be connected with other people, but it's keeping them from being available. And it's the conversation about willingness versus av availability. And one of the things that I had to do early on is really sit with, am I doing the things, uh, am I doing things in my life just to keep me busy? Am I doing things that are actually productive? Am I doing things that have eternal value? Or am I just filling my calendar with events uh, to keep me busy, to distract me from something uh, that I may be running from? And this is just me personally. Um, and I had to make some hard decisions. Uh, yes, you know, I get a chance, I, I don't get a chance to do a lot of the things that I would want to do, but I'm getting a chance to do things that make me. Uh, bring me joy, bring me peace, and they uh, speak to the purpose of why I'm living um, and following the, the mission of God. I think also uh, one of the things that uh, people have to ask themselves when they look at the plate of their lives, they need to ask themselves, like, is anything on my plate that needs to be removed that's keeping me from creating the type of rhythmic uh, service lifestyle in my life that can honor and glorify God. Uh, another thing too, is I don't view service as, you know, the checkbox list, uh, itemized thing that I put on the calendar. I view service as a lifestyle. Service is not an event. Service can happen, uh, in, in the middle of where you live, work and play. So I'm always living with, uh, the, the mindset and mentality of, you know, can I serve wherever I am? Um, I think oftentimes people also think that you have to be like some professional uh, minister or like a person in a in a high position or anything like that. I, I push back against that idea because the only questions I've ever asked was how can I show up with what I have wherever I am. All right, we're talking with Terrence Lester. Um, we are talking about his new book, When We Stand. Um, you can find Terrence online at terrencelester.org, lovebeyondwalls.org, and we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run too far to still be the same. Continuing my conversation with Terrence Lester, um, encourage you to check out When We Stand, his newest book, also everything he's doing, TerrenceLester.org. Um, talk with us, Terrence, about unlearning. Um, I'm, I'm thinking here about uh, the chapter on being brave and the conversation about unlearning. Yeah, I think one of the things that is so essential in our coming together uh healing any type of divides as well as entering in community um, and not just like monolithic communities, but like very diverse communities that uh, speaks to all of the diversity of God's creation has to come with asking ourselves, what have I learned um, that may not be true about my neighbor? 
that may be even keeping me from extending God's love to that neighbor. And I think it's a, it's a process that we all undergo uh, that causes us to do some deep introspection, but also sitting with other people with stories that may be different from ours and really leaning in and listening uh, within, with an open ear. I think one of the, the reasons why we haven't been able to stand together and be together and have this type of uh, harmonious relationship across communities is, is, is because sometimes we continue to hold on to things that uh, may not be true of the very people that we're supposed to enter into community with. Um, and that's, that, that's huge for us. We need to unlearn some things. So I uh, had the privilege of, uh, of serving in downtown Orlando a number of years ago, 20 years ago now, and was, um, had a friend who was very, very engaged in a ministry with the homeless community. And that's when I learned that just because somebody doesn't have an address does not mean they don't know the gospel. And so many ministries related to people without an address are focused on evangelism. It might be the most highly evangelized uh, people group in the world, uh, American uh, people without addresses. Like those people, man, the gospel is delivered to them uh, frequently, um, at least in terms of, you know, you know, so that was a that was something that I learned that I needed to unlearn. This assumption that because a person doesn't have an address, they don't know the gospel and they don't know Jesus. That's just not true. Right. It's 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 so important for us uh, to be proximate. I, I'll never forget. Uh, we were underneath the bridge. It was probably at the height of the pandemic. And uh, we had a few volunteers, obviously socially distant with masks on and uh you know, you know, really Christian. And there was this guy, his name was Reverend Walter. Uh, They didn't know that he was a reverend, Uh, but they were trying to do this very thing uh, (laughs) and like evangelize him, not even knowing that he had been a pastor before. Uh, He had preached sermons. (laughs) He, He literally gave them a seminary class right up underneath the bridge. And I think it's oftentimes this assumption that just because you have less, that you may have less morals, less character, less faith, et cetera. But that's not always the case. And that's why I love Jesus so much, because he never looked at people's outer appearance. He looked at uh, the inherent dignity that every single person had that he had encountered. And that's how we need to approach uh, even entering in conversations and even challenge our challenging our uh, own false assumptions about what we think about people. We need to ask ourselves, are we really starting with uh, the inherent dignity and worth that every single person possesses? Uh, it's a, it's an excellent uh, conversation tool. It's an excellent tool to help me see myself and my neighbor. Um, and to get me unstuck, as you also like to say in other places at other times, the questions for reflection and discussion at the end of this book are um, are really excellent as well. So the book is When We Stand. Terrence Lester is the author. Um, encourage you guys to uh, to not just check it out, but to live into loving neighbor. Um, go ahead, live intentionally. 
bring somebody with you, maximize your input. That is all in uh, in this book. It's super duper practical. Terrence, thank you so much for joining us today and for what, not just what you're doing every single day, but the way you're doing it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. That's Terrence Lester. Uh, you can find him online, terrencelester.org. We'll be right back. Thanks again for listening to this very special Best of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio for this Friday before Independence Day. I'm Paul Perot, and if you enjoyed that conversation with Terrence Lester, remember we do have copies of his book, When We Stand, to give away. Just enter the drawing by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Well, as we look at the 4th of July holiday before us, as Christians, how do we love our country well? Well, on Monday of this week, Carmen talked with regular guest Adam Carrington, a political science professor at Hillsdale College. Here's a portion of their talk. All right, we don't have much time left, but I would love for you to just just comment, um, even if ever so briefly, on the fact that uh, July the 4th is upon us. Obviously a holiday I care about as, as, as someone <laughs> who teaches politics. And I think to reiterate, I think it's not a bad thing to reiterate. It's it that docu the Declaration of Independence, faith in the idea that we are all created equal, that we have inalienable rights, and that we should respect the dignity of others in doing so. I think also as Christians, we we need to recognize that uh, I, I I would say a form of patriotism is not bad. That loves one's country, that recognizes its goods without diminishing its bads recognizes America and the, the, the great religious freedom it has provided to us and been a beacon to for others, uh, while still not conflating the fact that our ultimate home is with God in the new heavens and the new earth, and hope that uh, our Christianity can temper our patriotism to make it a more just and right one, but that our patriotism can remind us as Christians that we live in a world that God has created, that God originally declared good, and that we can work to with our neighbors for peace and justice as we await the kingdom. Adam is so thoughtful in his analysis, and he generally joins Carmen's every other Monday on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Well, stay with us. More of this Best of Mornings with Carmen is on the way in the next hour. Remember, podcasts are available of all our conversations at MyFaithRadio.com and on the Faith Radio app. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.